Well, I don't see how the music could have been any more fitting and uh, just inspiring for what this day represents and this weekend. One of the things that uh, Brother Chris, in talking with him, uh, he asked me to be sure <laughs> and uh, ask this question. A uh, hundred years from now, where will you be celebrating Memorial Day weekend? It'll either be in heaven or it'll be in hell. And it's up to us to make the choice. Well, the message God gave me to bring today is uh, I've given the title Courage in Facing the Enemy. This is something that as we celebrate the military and the service that they have given to the country, actually this day was set aside to uh, honor those who died in the service, the military service to their country. But this has expanded over the years, expanded, and uh, we include all veterans, and uh, we include families of veterans who served, and so it's uh, grown into be a bigger thing than what it originally was intended to be. The traditional observance of veterans of uh, Memorial Day is in the morning to briskly raise the flag all the way to the top of the mast and then lower it back down to half staff. This is <clears throat> honoring the men and the women, over one million, who gave their lives in military service to our country. Then at noon, the flag is raised back up to the top of the staff. And this is indicating a pledge by those of us who are still living that those who gave their lives have not died in vain. We are going to continue to uphold the things that will keep our country a land of liberty and justice for all. And as was said in the music, if we're not a land of the brave, we'll not be either a land of the free. And so it takes courage to be one of those that upholds those kinds of standards that enables us to have the kind of freedom that we love and enjoy here in this country. <clears throat> but there was a war <clears throat> that began a long time before any of our wars. And it's a much bigger and more important war than any of our wars. World War I, World War II, right on down the line. This war is bigger than any of those. Those were important. It's good that we honor those who, who served, those who gave their lives. Actually, anyone who volunteers for military service doesn't know if they're going to live through that time of service. We all face that possibility that uh, before we finished our term that we agreed to serve, our lives may be lost in battle. And uh, so it's, it's something that it's good that we honor them all, all of those who have served. Well, I wanted to point to someone who was a distinguished soldier of Jesus Christ in this bigger battle. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when Satan indicated his disapproval of God's plan for what he wanted to make out of us as humans, and he went to battle against God's plan in the Garden of Eden. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve 
were deceived and sided with Satan and lost the position that God intended for us as humans to have. But God didn't give up. He had an alternative plan. And so he proceeded with his alternative plan. And so down through the years of history, we have seen heroes who have stood for what God wanted. And instead of trying to please men, they have given themselves to pleasing God. But I wanted to share with you one that is one of the outstanding examples of someone with courage in facing the enemy. And that's the one we know as the Apostle Paul. I wanted to begin by just giving some information about his conversion experience. It's found in uh, Acts chapter 9. And it tells us that Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters of authority to Damascus to the synagogues that if, they if he found any of this way, that's talking about Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so this gives you a picture of what Saul was like. And uh, he had taken the wrong side, and he was very much against what the Christians were preaching and believing and, sh and sharing, and so he wanted to stamp it out, and he had already started doing that in Jerusalem. He was holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen, that outstanding one of the first deacons. He would already started holding the coats of those who stoned him to death. And then he was arresting and having bound and some of them killed uh, right there in Jerusalem. So now he wants to move on out of the Jerusalem area and start getting those who pro proclaim to be Christians and bring them back to have them punished. And so he's on his way to Damascus to do that. And then he has a conversion experience on the way, thank God. And this is, is the remarkable thing that happens to every one of us who are believing Christians at this time. And those who have never done this need to do it. It's a matter of free choice. It is not forced on us. But there's an account in uh, the further verses of that chapter, chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, that says, As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. It was a powerful light. And it knocked him off of the beast he was riding, and he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and it will be told you there what you must do. Well, in this conversion experience of, of Saul, it reveals that he knew all along he was doing the wrong thing. That expression, kicking against the pricks, indicates that he knew what he was doing was wrong. We have the same thing. God built into every one of us a conscience. It's that little part of us in the center of our being that helps us to distinguish between right and wrong. And so... If we've done wrong and are doing wrong, that conscience tells us that. 
We can kick against it, but it's there, and we're aware of it. And Saul was aware of what he was doing, was not really right, but he chose to please men, be politically correct, and exalt himself instead of doing what God wanted and listening to his conscience and obeying the right thing. And so that's what Jesus meant when he said, it's hard for you, been hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then Saul responded by saying, Lord, my God. He didn't include the whole thing in this, in this scripture, but he's recognizing Jesus now as his Lord, which he should have done a long time ago, but now he's recognizing him and asking him, okay, I'm ready to take orders from you. What do you want me to do? And so this is the conversion experience that this man had on his way to do something completely op opposite of what he intended to do. Well, <clears throat> he, gets in, he, he gets up and he's blind as a bat. He can't see a thing. They have to lead him by the hand, take him into Damascus, put him up with a, a man uh, named Justice who lived on Straight Street. And uh, it's interesting. We get a, a, uh, information like that in these scripture passages. But uh, uh, he was there three days blind as a bat, didn't eat anything or drink anything, praying. And God spoke to this man named Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go over on Straight Street to the house of justice. There's a man named Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go in and pray for him. Ananias said, Lord, <laughs> I've heard of that guy. Uh, <laughs> he hates Christians. He's here He's, he's put a lot of them in prison and had a lot of them killed. He's here to get everybody here to do the same thing to them. And the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias, things have changed. He's praying. And he, I've, he's heard that someone named Ananias is going to come and pray for him and restore his sight. And so Ananias said, okay, Lord. And so he went and he did what the Lord said. He put his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, accepting him now as a brother in Christ. And he said the prayer that brought his sight back again. It said it felt like, uh, like uh, blockades uh, off of his eyes. And uh, he was able to see and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful that in such a short period of time, he went from being a very arrogant unbeliever to being an obedient servant of the Lord filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible goes on to say that there in Damascus, he began to, to proclaim his new faith in the synagogues there. And people were amazed. They said, this is the guy, isn't it, that was so against Christians, and now here he is talking it up. And so they were so amazed. And he continued for quite a few days there, preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, preaching that he is really the Messiah. And uh, it got to be a problem for those who didn't want to believe that. And so they were plotting to kill him. They were going to murder him for saying these things. You know, that's the uh, reaction of a lot of people when they get a message they don't really like. They don't respond to it the way they should. They kill the messenger. And so this was what they decided to do in Damascus. And so they uh, started watching the gate so they could catch him on his way out and they could kill him. But the disciples heard about the plot, the ones that had accepted Jesus, and they let him down by 
a rope in a basket on, over the wall, and he got away from Damascus. He goes to Jerusalem, and he's going to share down there what's happened to him. Down there, of course, they, they knew him even better and knew what he'd been up to. And uh, it took a long time for them to accept him, but Barnabas knew about these experiences that Saul had had, and so he stood up for him and talked the others into accepting him as now a believer in Jesus, and so he began to preach there. And people in Jerusalem, it said the Grecians. Now, why it was them instead of the Jews, I don't know, but they wanted to kill him. And so he had to flee from Jerusalem. Now, here's, here's a man who is in the warfare. He has now taken orders from God, from the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. He's taken orders, doing what he told him to do, where he told him to do it. So now they are going to have to get him out of Jerusalem, and they send him back to his hometown of Tarsus. Well, as history goes on, people got scattered through the persecutions of Christians that were going on in Jerusalem, and some of them went up to Antioch in Syria and started a church up there. And so Barnabas heard about it and went up there, and he realized, man, there's a lot of people here that are hungry to know more about Jesus, but they need somebody that would be a good teacher of the Bible to them. And so he went to Tarsus and got Saul and brought him to Antioch and had him there as one of the pastors, I guess you'd say, teachers of the new Christians there in Antioch, a place where believers were first called Christians. And uh, <clears throat> this is something that uh, in his ministry there in Antioch, we learn that God had another assignment to give to him. And so we learn about that in uh, chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. And uh, <clears throat> it said that I get the right page. It said, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so here's the beginning of Saul's first missionary journey. I don't know the meaning of the name Saul. Every, every name that they gave people back then, it had a meaning to it. I don't know the meaning of the name Saul. But Saul changed his name to Paul. Now, I know the meaning of Paul. Paul means little. And so he was humbling himself. He had started out trying to be great, mighty, noble, high-ranking, you know, that kind of a person. Now he's humbling himself down to consider himself as little. And so his name is changed in the process from Saul to Paul. And so he starts out with Barnabas on this missionary journey. They go first on a ship to the island of Cyprus, and he uh, tells the good news of the gospel in a couple of towns on Cyprus. Then he goes across to the mainland, of where we, what we now call uh, Turkey, and uh, he goes to another town called Antioch up in Turkey. And so the, he goes into the synagogue. It seems that God had told him, you go to where there already are some people that believe in Jehovah God. Start off there and, and let them know that 
Jehovah God has fulfilled what he prophesied back in the Old Testament scriptures, and he has sent the one that he talked about that has given the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and for the salvation of anybody in the world. And so uh, he goes into the synagogue, a place where they already did believe in Jehovah God. Didn't believe in Jesus yet, but they believed in Jehovah God. And so as they sat down, it says they read the prophets and the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures that they ordinarily do. And then they said, brothers, you are visiting with us. If you have anything to share with us, say on. And Paul got up and preached a sermon. Uh, and the summary of it is recorded in this uh, chapter in the book of Acts uh, where he preached that sermon in uh, Acts chapter 13. Well, this was news to the people there. They'd not ever heard anything like that. And so after the service was over, uh, a lot of them said to him, would you come back next week and continue telling us what you started telling us today? And he said, I'd be glad to. And so the next week, it said almost the whole town showed up. I mean, it was just jam-packed and standing outside listening through the windows probably. It was, everybody turned out to hear more about this message that he was giving. Well, guess what that did? It stirred up the envy and the jealousy of the Jews. They got the big shots of the town to join with them and say, this guy is messing up our work here. He's telling things that aren't true. He's lying to us. He needs to have something done to him to put this to a stop. And so they ran him out of town. They just told him, you get out of here. We don't want to hear anything else you've got to say. We don't even want you here any, any longer. They ran him out of town. Well, <clears throat> the Gentiles wanted to hear more, but the Jews had already heard more than they wanted to hear. And so <clears throat> this is the... The, the uh, opposition that a, a, a Christian soldier of the Lord was, was facing. And so uh, <clears throat> they go on to another town called Lystra. And as they enter the town, before they got to find out if there's even a synagogue there, and evidently there wasn't, this was a very idolatry kind of a town, they got there and started trying to tell the news, the good news, I guess in the public square, and, uh, and Paul noticed a man, crippled man, that he could tell by the expression on his face that he was listening and that he had believed everything that Paul had said and had already decided he believed in this Jesus. And so Paul, seeing that he had faith to believe, he said to him, stand up on your feet. He'd been crippled from his mother's womb, it said. He'd never had walked. And he got up on his feet and stood and was able to walk and jump and dance. And, uh, and all of the people said, oh, these are not just men. These are the gods that have descended down to us. The gods that they had worshipped, Mercurius and Jupiter, they thought that's who this was. And they were getting ready to do sacrifice to them. And uh, it says that Paul just scarcely was able to stop it before they actually killed an animal and started doing their ceremonial sacrificial things. And so this was happening in Lystra. And so... Paul and Barnabas were able to teach and preach the gospel there for a while. But back in Antioch and Iconium, they heard about 
that this is still going on. It's over in a neighboring town, but it's still going on. And so they got their bunch together and went over there and badmouthed Paul to all those people. And, and they just changed from being impressed to being angry and opposed. And they got, they got Paul and stoned him to death and dragged his body out of the city and left him there for dead. Now, <clears throat> that's not the end of the story. The Bible says, as the ones who had believed were standing around him, around his body, he got up. <laughs> now, I don't know if he really died or if he just was unconscious, but anyway, whatever condition he had been in, he got up. And uh, he was not afraid. This is something that in the book of Hebrews, he wrote this passage that said, God has promised I will never leave you or forsake you. And so if God is going to be with me everywhere I go, then I will not fear. What can man do to me? He went right back into that town that had stoned him to death, they thought, and got his group together, assigned somebody to be the leader, and then went back through the towns he had just been preaching in, did the same thing, assigned somebody to be the leader so they could go on with their learning and, and, and uh, their belief in Jesus, and then finally did return back to where they started, to Antioch. So I'm skipping some of the passages because I don't have time to, to read them all, but uh, <clears throat> this was an indication of what a good soldier of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul had come to be in such a short period of time. Soon as he became a converted believer in Jesus, he was ready to do whatever the, the uh, general ordered, and Jesus was now his general, and so he's taking orders. Well, the Bible tells us that the time came for another missionary journey, and uh, the indication is in uh, chapter 16, and beginning with verse 6. They started out going through the places they'd already been just to make sure everything was in order, everything was going well, uh, making any changes that needed to be made. And it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So here's another indication of obedience on the part of Paul. The Holy Spirit said, Don't go into Asia. Not ready yet. And so they didn't. They didn't go there. They wanted to, but they changed their plan. And then they thought uh, when they came to Mysia, they intended to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit said, don't go there either. And so now, they're, and so they didn't do that either. They're very obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling them and leading them in this second missionary journey. And so the, uh, the, thing that, that uh, came to them where they should go was uh, in chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Uh, they came down to Troas, it tells us, and uh, there appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia, 
and prayed him, saying, Come into, over into Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So therefore, loosing from Troas, they took ship and went across the sea to Macedonia. Now, <clears throat> evidently there was no, no preaching of the gospel at all there, but there was a group of women that went down to the riverside for prayer at a certain time. I don't know if it was every day, but on a regular basis, prayer was being made. And so Paul and Silas now, he's the partner now, they went down there to see what this was all about and to meet with those women and uh, to start telling them about Jesus. And so uh, as they ministered there, going to an, uh, a woman named Lydia said, said uh, I believe what you guys are saying, and, and I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior now. Would you come and just stay in my house? And so they agreed. And so they'd go day, day by day from her house down to the riverside and have another gathering and tell some more about Jesus. And on the way, they were being mocked by a demon-possessed woman. She was a fortune teller, making a lot of money for the ones who, I guess, owned her. And so she would make mockery of them. She'd say, here comes those men that are telling us about the high God and leading us to the way of salvation. And uh, it says that uh, Paul got, finally got angry after enough of that. He said, enough of that. <laughs> he turned to the woman and commanded the demon to come out of her, and immediately it did, came out of her. Now she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. She couldn't do these things that were making big money for her owners. And so they got mad. They were Worshiping the God of money. You know, that's one of the reasons that a lot of people are angry at us for preaching the gospel today in our country. They don't want this to get out. They get angry at those of us who tell the truth and share God's word and use the name of Jesus. And so this was the way they found it there. Uh, and so they stirred up the people, got them all angry, made false accusations about what these men were up to. And you probably know the story. Uh, the magistrate heard that and he said, okay. Uh, let's drag them in, strip them off of their clothes, beat the tar out of them, and put them in jail. And so that's what they did to Paul and Silas. They just took the word of these accusers without any evidence. And uh, the Bible goes on to say that uh, as he was there, he and Silas in prison, it says that... Uh, He thrust them, the, the jailer, receiving them with a charge to keep them secure. He put them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And so they had still a victorious attitude. All of this had happened to them, but they hadn't given up. They hadn't quit. They were still trusting God. They were still praising God. They were praying to God. And all the prisoners were hearing this. And I'm sure that in what they heard, their hearts were being changed because of what happened later. Because it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. 
and uh, the doors of the prison were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison had been asleep. When he woke up, he thought they were all gone. He drew out his sword, was going to fall on it and commit suicide because he knew the kind of death he'd die if he was found having let prisoners escape, especially someone that was supposed to really be kept secure. But Paul cried out early enough and loud enough, don't do yourself any harm. We're still all here. None of the prisoners had left. They had a chance, but they didn't go because I think the influence of this witness of Jesus and a desire to do what was the right thing, they were in there because of something they'd done, so it wasn't right for them to run out, and so they stayed. They stayed put. They, this jailer came in to them and bowed at their feet and said, what must I do to be saved? And he gave that simple response. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your whole family can be saved that way. And so he took them out. He washed their wounds. He let, him, let Paul and Silas speak to his family. They all became believers and uh, were baptized. And the next day, the Bible says that Paul said to the jailer, the magistrate sent word, let those guys go. Paul said to the jailer, they convicted, convicted us without any evidence and beat us and imprisoned us being Romans. They can be in big trouble. And the jailer got word back to the magistrate and boy, I'm telling you, the tables turned in a hurry. Here they come now, apologizing, <laughs> bowing, <laughs> please forgive us. You're free. We did the wrong thing. And it all had changed. And so these are just some indications of the kind of soldier that the Apostle Paul was for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> what I want to say in conclusion, this is an example of what a soldier of the Lord is to be like. It wasn't the end of the story for Paul. There were a lot of other things. Uh, he still ran into persecution in a lot of places. He was falsely accused of doing things that were considered blasphemy when he went back to Jerusalem for the, one of the major feasts. They were going to kill him. They were going to stone him to death because they accused him of blasphemy. The Roman soldiers interfered. He went through a period of, of time where they were trying to decide, really, is this worth holding him a prisoner or not. They took him to the governor to let the governor decide. Governor Felix heard Paul and his defense, realized that, well, there's really nothing there that is worthy of keeping him in prison, certainly nothing worthy of killing him. Uh, but he was hoping to get some money, that Paul would get some money and offer it as a bribe to let him out. Well, that never happened. Uh, Felix finished his term as governor and Festus came into the office. Festus heard the story and asked Paul to come and tell him about this, and he heard the story, and he said, I'd like to hear more about that. When I have a convenient time, I'll get you to come and tell me more. He put off making a choice. You know, people do that in church a lot. They hear the gospel message, and they know they need to respond and say yes to Jesus and openly confess him as Savior, but they say, well, but not today. I'll... I'll uh, There'll be a better time down the road, and I'll do it then. The bad thing about that is every one of us goes past hundreds of doors to death every day, and we never know when one of those is going to open and grab us in. 
we need to make that choice while we can. And today, we can. Anybody that hasn't can make that choice. And so, don't put it off. But this was something that Festus said, well, I'd like to hear more about this. When I have a convenient time, I'll call you in. Then King Agrippa came to congratulate, he and his wife came to congratulate Festus on his new position, and he told him about having Paul there as a prisoner, and, and King Agrippa wanted to hear. And to every one of them, Paul gave his testimony. He started off telling what kind of guy he was at first, and then how that Jesus changed him on the way to Damascus to do more murder and stuff. And uh, he, he shared that with all of them. He did it again with King Agrippa. King Agrippa says, Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. You just almost talked me into it. But he didn't quite take the step. Isn't that pitiful? But he is, Paul is still being a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. And so he went on this way through all of those governors, king, even Caesar. We don't have the record of how he stood before Caesar Augustus, but he did stand trial. Eventually got there and stood trial. Caesar Augustus said, I don't see any evidence to convict you, so you're free. It was later that Paul again was arrested, and this time he had, I guess so, gone against the, the Caesars, trying to be gods, that uh, he, he was killed as a martyr, eventually. Now, here's what I want to ask of us. There's a song, and I'm, I'm just going to conclude with this, that says, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. That's what I'd like for us to ask ourselves. Am I a true soldier of the cross? If there is something that needs to be corrected, something that needs to be made right, as we stand for our closing hymn, our hymn of invitation, it's an opportunity for you to respond to whatever God is saying to you. Don't kick against the pricks. Just listen and do according to what he's leading you to do. Let's stand together as we have our closing hymn, our hymn of invitation. <clears throat>